Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. All right, you can turn your Bibles. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Second Samuel real quick. I just want to show you something there in Second Samuel, and I'm starting a series today. In this series, I'm really not good at titles, but it's it's just what I could come up with. Spiritual rhythms, and uh, I want I want to talk about what when I grew up as a believer years ago. We weren't afraid to talk about spiritual disciplines. Some reason it's kind of a bad word right now, but it's it's a discipline. God has actually called us to work the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring fruitfulness to God. You say, wasn't that obvious? No, it's really not. There's, there's a lot of people that are pushing against that right now, somehow equating what we do with works for salvation, I totally agree. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us. We get that, right? The Bible says that we overcome by the, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and love not our lives even unto death. That's what I believe. That's scripture. But I understand that once you come into Christ, you have been empowered with the creator of the universe, the Holy Spirit himself that brooded over those, brooded, is that a word? brood, bread, brood, brood, brooded, brooded over the waters in Genesis chapter one, that he broods over your life right now, and it's the energy of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can quicken your mortal body. And so it's not about us, but it is about us. It's not about all us, it's not about us in the flesh, so to speak, as the Bible talks about, our carnal nature and who we've been. It's about who God has created us to be and he's given you an identity and then empowered you with the Holy Spirit to help you accomplish the task of possessing your promised land and literally restoring Eden. That has been the passion of God since, since the Adam and Eve walked out of the garden. I believe that I believe that God turned and said, it's not recorded in scripture, but I believe he probably said something like, this isn't over. We're coming back. In fact, he hints at that in Genesis chapter 3.15, which is the first messianic scripture in the Bible. The promise of the seed that would come forth. And yeah, the, the enemy might bruise the heel, but that seed is gonna crush his head. Like that's been a promise for thousands of years now. And so in Jesus Christ, we realize that we are still at war. In fact, uh, you know, when I talk about spiritual rhythms, I think of things like this. The, spirit, the, the traditional spiritual disciplines are things like uh, prayer, reading and studying the word of God. These, these are meant to be daily rituals as they were in the Jewish community, which is the community that Jesus chose to be planted into, to grow up into. Jesus daily understood and studied scriptures and daily prayed to the Father. In fact, in Jewish tradition, they would have done it multiple times a day. Worship is a spiritual rhythm. We got music playing here? Oh, there we go. Worship is a spiritual rhythm. Even what we did a few minutes ago, that, that is not just, if it's a Sunday morning only thing in your life, you are, see the, I love the, the, the phrase that Benny Johnson, Bill's wife, Redding, California, used. It was in something she wrote, 
I, I got it this week, so I guess, I guess it was written this week, you know, but it was, it was, it was called unforced rhythms. That, that this isn't something that you must do these things. This is something, if you don't do these things, you're gonna run into a lot of challenges in your life because you are called to prepare yourself constantly for the day of the Lord or the day of evil that comes. And in our nation right now, we're experiencing a lot of different things right now that is testing the very core of who we are. It tests who you, what you really believe. And I, I'm kind of split in the whole thing. I mean, I, I love America and I'm, I'm devoted to, I wanna see this become the greatest country that there has been in history. I believe it's probably already there. And, and of course, there's a, a thousand things we could complain about. But if you go and visit other countries, which I have, you know, scores of other countries, when you go to other countries, you love the culture, you love the people, you love what's happening, but you're sure glad to get home. Because you realize that not everyone in another country actually obeys street signs. I mean, in Europe, in Eastern Europe especially, they, they believe that street signs are suggestions. And so you're over there and you're like, wow, I mean, Cindy and I have been in environments where it's like, well, I don't know, what do we do? I mean, we're, we're in a pretty strict environment here in the U.S. where if you stop, you're supposed to stop, and if you don't stop, you will be stopped, if you know what I mean. And so we, we understand that. We see signs, and generally speaking, we follow those signs, speed limits we have difficulties with, but other things we, we follow well. I mean... Over in Italy, when we're there, they have these boxes along the road, along the, the, uh, the highway, the main highway that goes right up through the spine of Italy. And these boxes are their policemen, basically. I mean, they have policemen there too, but these boxes uh, uh, basically record whether you're speeding or not. And they give you warning a mile or so before that that the box is up there. So what they do in Italy is they go 120 miles an hour, and then when they see the sign, they start slowing down, and they cruise by at 60. And then, boom, their Lamborghinis and Ferraris pick up to the next speed, or in my case, Volkswagen picks up to the next speed and putters along there until you see another box coming, and that's the way it's kind of done. You come to the United States, you, when you go to other places to come here, you realize that culture and rules and everything, I mean, we, we're doing pretty good. Are there things that need to be addressed? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This isn't heaven on earth yet. Only West Virginia has accomplished that. Almost heaven. <laughs> and so you realize that laws are good. Laws are merely boundaries. I mean, Cindy will tell you, half the, half the time, places in Italy, there's, on, on mountains, there's no guardrails. I mean, you're, it, you do drive slower when there's no guardrails. When there's guardrails, though, it just creates a, I mean, when you're talking about thousand foot drops, you know, it's, it, you're, you're glad for those boundaries in your life. And these boundaries are in our life. And right now, with the Equality Act, or the Equality Bill, there's, there's a test on our boundaries right now regarding gender. But it's regarding a lot of things. And this bill could actually eliminate women's sports. It's got all, it could affect churches in a big way. Like this is not something to approach in a... So someone was telling you all this to say that we have temporal responsibilities. This earth does matter. And what we do as believers on this earth actually matters. Yeah. 
We, we should vote because a lot of places in the world, people don't get to vote. In fact, they, they have revolutions so that they can vote. In the United States, we kind of had a revolution for that reason, so that we might have a voice in what is, say, is spoken. I love the one thing I love about the United States is that supposedly we are the government. In Australia, when I was in Australia, I went to the capital, Canberra. In Canberra, you walk up this hill where the parliament is. It's a grassy hill that you can't do it anymore, but when I used to go there, you could do it. And you walk up, and there's a big dome, big glass dome, and you can look into the glass dome and see the parliament meeting down there, underground. You know why they did that? Because they wanted the government to always be under their feet. And they're still like that, actually. Australia's just got that little whatever in them that's like, yeah, you know, we're not gonna put up with this, you know. So that's definitely in the American psyche also. We're being tested on it constantly in the past decades as, as core understandings and values. Forget spirituality and Christianity and everything else. These are core values. But by the way, these values did come into the Western culture from Christianity. I just want you to know that. And these values are put there not to restrain us in, in evil ways, but to create boundaries of freedom to be able to express yourself and grow and be everything that God's called us to be and to influence the nations of the world for good. Have we done bad? Sure we have. Other nations we probably need to repent to? Sure. I always gotta say these things. It should be obvious, but again, it's not. But so that's the temporal realm we need to be concerned about. Right now, if you're concerned about these things, you're concerned about your granddaughters and your daughters and all that, you need to call your senator. You can find a very easy, call your senator and say, we don't want this Equality Act. We don't want it. I mean, it's not about Christianity, although I'd say it sides with Christianity, uh, voting against that. This is about a moral issue and a guardrail upon our nation. When you move too many guardrails, you end up with a lot of problems. So that brings me then to, we are spiritual creatures that have been born again, living in a temporal world. We must have influence on this world, but God has called us to something even bigger than that. And so that's what I want to approach right now is my first discipline that I want to, oh, I'm sorry, I can't say that. It's my first spiritual rhythm. that I want to talk about today is warfare. It's because it's March. March is named after Mars, the god of war. And tradition shows that all throughout history, it's the beginning of war season. Well, they take the winter off. It's just too hard to fight in the wintertime. It's hard to get provisions. It's cold outside. In Europe, where a lot of the fighting took place throughout history, you know, wintertime, you go back, you, you farm your fields, you create crops. When spring comes, though, every man, typically it was every man, rises up, it's time for war. There's a hunger for war. Expand our boundaries, protect what we have, all that. I mean, this has been the history of the world. And, and because of the wheat fields that are out there, there's, you think when you get huge armies like Alexander the Great, when he was marching across Europe and into what would be Middle Eastern regions now, uh, when he was marching across, it was great conquest, 27-year-old man that was taking over the world. When he did it, he did it in the spring of the year because there would, be, there would be an early harvest that would come forth with wheat. And so they had bread that they could have everywhere they went for their soldiers. They ground the wheat up and create their, that was their, their fast food place. It wasn't too fast and 
but you get the idea anyway. So, so there's, there's something about March that stirs it, and I got stirred in my own heart. It's the way the beginning, this was the beginning of the year in the Roman calendar, which is the arguably probably the strongest civilization up till the United States, uh, an ancient civilization or a classical civilization from a, around 500 BC to around 500 AD. We could argue that it still exists today. Threads of it are even in our American constitution. And the very things that we do in America were based on Roman Greco type laws. Romans copied the Greeks, but they, Romans seem to get more credit for it. Anyway, spiritual disciplines. We use them. We use natural disciplines every day. We eat properly in order to, you know, avert physical illness, things like that. We exercise to stay limber and strong. We use safety equipment to avoid injury. We also exercise our spirit through daily rituals of warfare. There's a preparation. I'm going to show you in Scripture in just a moment, but there's a preparation that needs to take place and should be taking place on a daily basis, whether you're in a war or not, because there could be a war in your future. I'm not talking about natural wars right now, and we'll look at that in just a moment also. But look at First Sam, Second Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to look at uh, verse 1. <clears throat> verse 1, just to show you this is a, this is a thing. It says here in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, it says, it happened, this is the time of David, it happened in the spring of the year. At the time when kings go out to battle, March, typically it's March or April, depending on what climate you're in, but March was the favorite. March that David sent Joab, David the king, sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. And there's reasons for it, and I'm not here to argue war or no war. It's, it, we're just looking at history right now and what happened and the rhythm of, of uh, followers of God throughout history. It says here, though, this is an important little caveat here in this verse. It says, but, but David remained at Jerusalem. Well, this is notable <laughs> because when kings go out to war, King David stayed back. So the point is here, which you find out if you read on through that passage, when he stayed back and wasn't in the normal rhythm, the battle came right to his door. You either choose to fight certain battles in your life or they will come to your family. They'll come to your door. They'll come to your very life. They'll come to your marriage. They'll come to your children. So you decide ahead of time, I'm gonna fight certain battles in my life to avert the potential of a destructive battle that would enter into my house. But David remained at Jerusalem. And we know what happened. Here, let me just give you a little picture of the inflection point that happened. This, this turning point, it was a pivot in his life. Because he stayed back, he got tempted to have sexual relations with another man's wife while the other man was out the battle. This is like, this is like God's man, David. He ends up lying. He ends up in treachery. I mean, he tried to set it up so this, this man could get killed and then set it up so he could get killed. There was conspiracy. There was murder. There's lying, treachery, conspiracy, sex, murder. I'm so glad these things don't happen today, but they did in ancient times. <laughs> Pregnancy, death, of the child that was born. And finally, repentance in Psalm 51 where David cries out as one of the greatest worshipers in the Bible who, who 
committed atrocities, really, personal atrocities. He cries out and says, let not your Holy Spirit go from me. I mean, he was desperate. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. He cried out and the, and the Lord showed mercy and grace on his life. He was a guy that knew how to do things wrong, but he knew how to get it right again along the way. And so he cried out. He cried out to the Lord. So when you avoid war, when you say, I'm not a warring person, I don't want to be involved in war, I'm a passive person, the, the war will consume you. Somewhere in your life, even good old passive American Christians They've got to say, I need to fight a battle over this. Now, we know traditionally fighting a battle means praying a prayer intensely for about 30 seconds. Oh, God, Jesus. We just, you know, when someone says, would you pray for him? You, you do that. You go, he says, okay. I hung up the phone. And I told him I'd pray for him, so let me do that. Okay, what was his name? Frank. Okay, Frank, Lord. We pray for Frank, Lord, right now. Jesus, hey, whatever it is, Lord, that's bothering Frank. Touch Frank right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good. I'm relieved. Where's my, where's my coffee? You know, wow, that wore me out. You know, but the idea of being intense in warfare and a daily rhythm of prayer, a rhythm that, that is, it is, it is maintaining the spiritual walk that you have. It's using the spiritual muscles that God has given you as a born-again believer, a person who moves in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is enacting you to do that, which naturally you may not want to do. And so I encourage people. I mean, people tell me, I tell people all the time, I'll, tell them, I'll, I'll give them a couple advices. One of them is, hey, find a good devotional Bible and read it every day, whether you want to or not. Because the power of the word of God will get in you and begin to reshape the construct of who you are. Well, I thought Jesus did that. Yeah, he does. Through his word. And through his spirit. And when you are faithful to do it, you say, well, someday, that just sounds like a legalistic requirement. No, legalism is attached to salvation. If you're doing stuff in order to be loved by God, accepted by God, to be able to get into heaven, you're missing the whole message of the gospel. The gospel is about you surrendering, like that last song said, we surrendering everything to you, Lord. We give up on what I was doing. Here's my stuff, Lord. Here's my ashes. You make something beautiful out of it. That's the great surrender. But then you were given his Holy Spirit. You were given the shed blood of Jesus Christ over your life. You were covered by your, by your, over your sins. I mean, the, the perfect love casts out fear in your life. You have been born again, or literally what the Bible says, born from above. You're a kingdom person. You're still down in this realm. But there's spiritual blood pumping through you. There's the, there's the approval of heaven. The identity of Christ has been imprinted upon you. You are a son or daughter of God. Now, many Christians do not ever realize that and do not ever use that for the purposes in their life. I mean, many American Christians just kind of, I always say they just kind of bobble down the creek, you know, like an apple thrown in and it's, you know, I'm going to eventually get to my destination. But that there's, no, there's no assertiveness, there's no intentionality about the life that I live that one of the best things I can do for my children is to love my spouse well. I just threw that in there. When you love your spouse well, it's the best way to love your children. Sometimes, you know, we've, this, particularly this generation, I'm not going to get into it. Okay, let's go back here. It says in 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians 10. It says in verse, in verse 3, chapter 10, verse 3, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. This warfare is not just a, a quick prayer or, or I'm fasting, I'm gonna fast from 11 o'clock at night till seven in the morning. Christians, they, know, they get all the loopholes, you know. So we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Everyone say carnal. Not carnal, carnal, carnal. They're not carnal, they're not earthly, they're not fleshly, they're not, they're not pre or post-fall kind of a situation. These are, these are post-cross. So they're not carnal, it's not... It's not, well, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna get back on my neighbor and I'm gonna, I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna let them know what I really feel. I mean, I hear so many carnal advices being given out to people. Well, if that person's not treating you right, you just, you just dump them. You get rid of them. Well, you may not spend as much time with them, but actually the Lord may, I know as soon as I say this, I'm gonna get pushed back from people. Like, you don't understand. There's, 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 there's reasons why you're with people you're with. And if we all just hang around with people just like us all the time, we're not gonna accomplish what God's called us to do. So it says, it says this, for the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down. This is what I want you to see here in these next few minutes, how active this warfare is in the life of a believer. That's pulling down strongholds, literally in the Greek, that means extinction. It's destroying, and, and the, the stronghold word is kind of where we get, it, it, it's like castles. You're pulling down things that have been built up. Some of us have things in our history, grandparents, great-grandparents, stuff about their lives and whatever, and things do pass through families, whether it's alcoholism or anger or whatever. I mean, all kinds of different things can pass through families. And there comes a point where you may be the person that creates a dam a resistance against that in the spirit and says, this will not affect my children. I'm gonna end it right now. How do you do that? Much of that is obviously through prayer, obviously through doing the correct thing, but it's, it's about your life being positioned as a weapon of warfare. That your very actions, your holiness, your purity before God, I'm not talking about some kind of weird legalism. Or anything. I always have to say these things in our culture because people, they, there's a real resistance against holiness right now. But I'm talking about a holiness that has a passion, a desire, and a hunger to be more like Jesus, to reflect who he is, reflect his ways. When you purpose that in your life, you set up a preventative, a preparation against certain things. Things will still come against you, but your children, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing about kids that grow up in the church and they get out into university, they get pumped with all kinds of weird thinking and then they abandon Christ. Was that because parents fail? No, it's, it's because our culture has been so erosive in so many ways. But to, to stand against that, you've got to create a culture and I'm not talking about going Amish, but I'm, you create a culture that says we're gonna stand for something that's different. I'm gonna be weird, but we're gonna stand for something that's a little different. We're gonna believe in absolutes that there's certain things that are unchangeable. There's certain things that they are what they are. And we move ahead with what that is. There are other things that can be shifted. There's personal preference that you can change, but there's certain things that are irrefutable. 
that are immovable, that are truth, that we need to teach our children because it's a preventative for them to move ahead and be able to win in the culture war and the spiritual wars that are happening in heavenly places. So we pull down strongholds. And we, sometimes we gotta say, that's, that's not a good thing to believe. I try to do that. I mean, it's, sometimes it's awkward. People say things to me and I'm like, oh. you know, and they'll say something, a very matter of fact, and say, you know, don't you agree? You know, and then you're kind of in a situation where you gotta, any of you ever had that happen before? Is that just me? Okay, three of us, that's good. It's like, you know, yeah, you know, this is a friend, and I, you know, I don't want to offend them in some way, but no, that's, that's crazy. That's craziness. And you hate to go using the Word of God because then it'll be a religious person, you know. But you got to say, oh, no, no, I just, you know, I don't know how it is for you. I'm just, I, I got my own path. I'm walking here. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, you know, <laughs> it, you know, people love when you quote Jesus, you know, it's just like, I was getting my hair cut a week ago and my barber is, is a, uh, a blended believer. He, he said, Jesus is one of the things I believe in. I said, really? Kind of interesting. Now, you know, when you're talking, when you're, when you're having a discussion with your barber, you gotta be really careful. <laughs> you're gonna end up with a haircut that you didn't order. So I don't like to get them too distracted or conflicted in any way and so he's going along he's talking and he finds out oh he's from Cleveland oh wow he's from Cleveland so we talked a little bit about that and then I said so are you a Jesus follower you know like I do with just about anyone I get with and he says so yeah yeah I like Jesus I like what he represents and everything I said no 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 I mean like like are you following him as you know as as the Lord of your life Uh, and he said what's one of the things I believe he says, you know, I like some stuff in Buddhism and Hinduism and I kind of pull it together. And you know, what I feel good about is I've, I think people need to create their own belief system. And I'm like, okay, how close is he to being done with this haircut here? I said, well, you know, that's, that's kind of your, you're kind of saying that Jesus is a, is a liar. So what do you mean? I wouldn't say that. I said, well, I'm just, just what you're saying, you know. Keep cutting. <laughs> so what do you mean? I said, well, see, Jesus believed he was the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I didn't think of that. But uh, I didn't go any farther because, again, my hair. But I, I laid it out there. We plant seeds. People are right now in this culture developing their own Christianity. And some of it, is grossly wrong. And so we're in a place right now, it's part of why I'm doing this this month is for us here and also in our online community to reestablish our core beliefs that we will have to fight certain battles. And it doesn't mean we hate people or we hate culture or anything like that. We just, we are protecting our families. We're protecting our children. And we have opinions. Unfortunately, in the United States, we are a part of the government and we need to have a voice also. But this is not, we're not going to storm the Capitol building. It's not part of the plan. This is a spiritual battle, and I love it because it's more powerful. The spiritual battle is more powerful, it's more effective, and you can do it without moving. So it says here, it says, 
We're pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So number one, you've got to know what God, the knowledge of God is. You've got to understand who God is and understand and pull down. You are being sent, you're not going to want to hear this, but you're being sent out there every day to help dismantle wrong thinking. Yeah. Using something that is absolute, which is God's word. It will not change. You go, but other people don't believe that. It doesn't matter. There's power in the name of Jesus. That's why in that last song we sang it over and over again is because even when people do not believe in Jesus, when he, they hear the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is powerful. So is God's word. When you insert God's word, you say something like, I kind of base my beliefs on scripture, on the word of God. I know other people, they do their thing and everything, but you know, here's the scripture that comes to my mind. You say what that is and they always, almost always say like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Well, who said that? Jesus. Actually, I can find a lot of scriptures that are really good to help out. Jesus stuff is like pretty severe. Have you read Jesus lately? It's the same thing. Judge not lest you be judged. I mean, he, he, someone wants your, your shirt, give them your, their coat also. I mean, that's you can go a mile, go the extra mile. I mean, it's, it's a life of surrender. It's a life of laying down your life. It is, a, it is a love. The greatest love of all is laying down your life for a friend. I mean, that, that affects even, even the, he tells us to love our enemies. Like he gives us no break at all. Love your neighbor, love your wife, love your family, love your your enemies, what's the bottom line? Love everybody. Love them all. I was thinking about a friend of mine went off the rails some time back into some deep, deep, difficult challenges, you know, and, and I was just thinking about him this morning. He came to my mind. He was a dear friend. I loved him greatly, and, you know, we did everything we could to, to and, and continue to maintain, but, but he's just in a different place, you know. And, and I'm, I mean, I mean I, I, I'm the, all I really have, he knows scripture, he knows all this stuff. All I really have is love. Love's got it. Love is to extend beyond other people's actions yeah. and extend to their hearts, seeing people. There's so many people I encounter when I'm out in the world doing everything that, you know, I do in a typical week. And I, some of them I don't, I don't like initially, you know, I meet them and I think, I don't know, they're not real pleasant, you know, and they're kind of rude or whatever. They probably think the same thing about me. But anyway, they, you know, I, I did those things. And then like in an instant, because I'm praying for this, you know, the Lord causes me to see what he sees and it melts my heart. And I'm like, oh, well, all right. I'm gonna have to love him. It's always a challenge to love some people, you know. What are we doing? As soon as you do that, you are engaging something in your spirit. It's part of your spiritual discipline and your spiritual preparation. Your heart is being shaped. You know, your heart is being shaped piece by piece, portion by portion, every day about how you respond in different situations. As you intentionally position yourself to become a Bible reader, to begin to read the Bible for the purpose of understanding God, not just memorizing scripture or knowing what a, who wrote the book of Jude or is there a book of Enoch there and what does it really mean? All those kinds of things that are out there. You're reading the word of God because you know the word of God shapes you and molds you and changes you. That's why you do it. You don't do it to tick off a little box or have a unicorn dance, a unicorn dance across the screen. <clears throat> You do it. It's a joke for our staff, but anyway, 
You do it because it's the right thing to do. And it prepares me. It equips me for what I'm about to face in my future and maybe even in my day. So we're going around pulling these things down what every, and bringing every thought into captivity in the obedience of Christ. There's a lot more I could say about that, but I just really don't have time. But let me tell you this. Jesus functioned as a warfare savior. In fact, when you look in the Bible, it's amazing how the Lord created men and women of God throughout the Bible to be in roles that were more placid, peaceful kind of roles. But at given times, they would rise up as warriors when needs be. So they were always in preparation. We know David, the famous one, who, who killed the lion and the bear while he was a shepherd. But what he didn't realize was killing the lion and killing the bear to save a few sheep gave him the qualifications to stand before a giant when no one else would to save an entire nation. So out in the field, you learn. You're learning warfare, the little things we face day to day. You say, I want to go to the nations. I want to, I want to have a voice. I want to do... You, I mean, Janet Porter has a voice in our nation. She's really done some amazing things here in our second row. Uh, you know, and I could go on and talk about her, but if you went and interviewed her, you'd find out there was... There was a lot of smaller battles behind her that she had to fight, things she had to overcome in order to get the sphere to be able to do what God's called her to do now. So you fight the battles where you are. You learn, you're kind of building up your, your warfare muscles to be able to deal with larger things in the future. David did that. He did the lion. He did the bear. So he faced the giant when everyone else was afraid to face him. Warriors were afraid to face him. He came in. They offered him armor, but the armor was so big it didn't fit him right. He said, I can't go out there in this stuff. I got to go out there in my shepherd outfit. He goes out in his shepherd outfit, swings a, a little rock, you know, and hits Goliath right in the forehead, knocks him down, chops his head off. I know it's very gruesome, but it's, it's history chops his head off, holds it up, and they defeated their enemies. A young boy out of the field. What prepared him? He sang in the fields. He worshiped in the fields. He spoke of God's word over and over again. He was like St. Patrick, who would pray up to 100 prayers a day when he was a slave in Ireland. He'd pray up to 100 prayers a day. It's all he could do is he's watching sheep, just like David. He was learning how to survive. He was about starved to death in the freezing cold. He probably lived in either a little hut or a little cave. He was a slave. He couldn't go anywhere more than 100 yards away from where he was. For six years, he was bound in that spot. His only companion were the sheep and God himself. He was such a devoted, disciplined man that they nicknamed him Holy Boy. They called him Holy Boy. It stuck with him for many years. He eventually became a bishop in the Catholic Church after he was rescued by God went back to the United Kingdom and then returned back to Ireland as a bishop 28 years later, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. What equipped him for that? Time in slavery, time in bondage, learning disciplines, getting ready, learning warfare, learning how to protect the sheep. And all of a sudden, boom, in almost like a Joseph moment from prison to palace, God brought him out and helped save a nation, winning over two-thirds, they believe over two-thirds of Ireland, which would have been uh, 100,000 out of 150,000 people came to the Lord in his tenure there. In ancient times, this man, because he was moved by the power of the Spirit, he knew how to do warfare. Jesus, when he's trying to talk to his disciples, I'm about to end here. 
Jesus moves mostly through his ministry, keeping things somewhat quiet. I mean, you know, when he would heal somebody, he'd go, hey, don't tell anybody. What did they do? They always went out and told somebody. Remember Legion? When the demons were, were broken off of him, he was released, some believe it was 3,000 or 2,000 demons, whatever it was, thousands of demons. The man was in horrible condition, confronted Jesus, came down, worshiped him. Jesus rebuked the spirit and, and he was set free. He immediately went to 10 different cities and became an evangelist, telling everyone about Jesus, you know. So the word was kind of spreading out there, but Jesus was careful not to get it out, spread too fast because he had certain things he needed to do. He was leading them toward a place called Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. It's, it's a beautiful area, but Caesarea Philippi is at the base of a major mountain. I think it's the biggest mountain in Middle East in, in Israel. Mount Hermon. At the base of it is, is an area where Jews traditionally believe that the fallen angels fell in that spot. It was an evil spot. Everything evil you can think about happened in the town that used to be called Pan, Bashan, I think was what it eventually was called, right at the foot of Mount Hermon. There was a cave there which they believed was the porthole to the underworld. It was a creepy place. In fact, Jews didn't like to go there. You know, it was at the top of the country. It was out of the control of there, so they didn't really worry about it. Jesus, though, gets his disciples and takes them there, stands right in a spot where there were probably graven images all around them because they would have these little niches where they would put these images in the mountain because this is what they called traditionally the gates of hell. This is access to the underworld. Jesus goes right to it. And then he tells them, he goes, hey, guys. Now, man, they're probably a little creeped out by this. I mean, they're sitting around there like, Jesus, why are we here? Why did you pick this spot? He said, well, I got some important news to talk about here. Who do men say that I am? And they went through the litany of ideas. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. You know, uh, okay, well, who do you say that I am? Peter jumps in and says right away, he says, you're, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds. You remember the passage? He responds and says, that's really good. Excellent. You know what? That was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, he said, you didn't get that from this realm. You got that from another realm. And he said, I will build my church. He said, upon this rock. Now, there's great debate over this, what it is. Some believe that actually he was talking about the place he was. Uh, Caesarea Philippi, upon this rock I will build my church. Some believe it's, it was the words that he was spoken, spoken about the church. Some believe it was Peter and he became the first pope. That's what the Catholics believe. They may all be right, I don't know. But he was saying, upon this rock I will build my church, the ecclesia. That's who we are right here. And the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Where did he take them to tell him that? He took them to the gates of hell. He took them to the place that everyone in Israel knew. Stay away from that place. You get involved in bizarre, weird things. There's child sacrifice. Everything that goes on up there, stay away from Caesarea Philippi. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go up to Caesarea Philippi. What? The gates of hell. 
will not prevail. What was he announcing? He was announcing to fallen angels. He's announcing to the council of God. He's announcing to everything he can. He's saying the prevailing force is Jesus Christ and the church. He's now passing it on to the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the called out ones. That's us. That's you and me. We, we tend to try to stay away from the gates of hell, wherever that is in your life. He said, they won't prevail against you. And he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Usually you think it'd be bound in heaven so that it's bound on earth. But he says, what do you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What do you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, keys represent authority in scripture. He says, I'm giving you right now in this place, in this creepy place where you're creeped out. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving you the ability right now to prevail against hell itself. That's why on one, in one perspective, I don't worry about the United States. I mean, if it, if it gets bad, it's going to get worse. And, and if, there, if we're on some kind of track that is unstoppable in, in where we're going, I, you know, I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know where we'll be in 20 years. But I know one thing for sure. I'm going to be doing the same thing I've been doing for the past 60 years. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to read Scripture. I'm going to pray and wait and allow Gregorian chants to sing in my background. I kind of like them, you know. Sing in the background. I don't know Latin, so it just sounds like speaking in tongues to me. It's amazing. Cindy's on them now. I got her hooked. We like just playing them in our house, you know. And just worshiping God, worshiping God. What am I doing? This is how I fight my battles. <laughs> Are you in a battle right now? No, not really. But I'm getting ready. I'm prepared. You know, when Jesus made that declaration, you know what the Bible says he did? He turned his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. He realized now I'm going to the epicenter of this war and I'm going to win this war for all of mankind. He made the declaration at the gates of hell. Do you understand that the underworld probably had no idea really what he was doing? They were highly suspicious of this man who had so many prophecies about him. Hell was trembling, I guarantee you. Because the God-man, Jesus Christ, came and said, I have declared a battle and we're going to win this. And the power of that victory is going to be given to multitudes of people throughout history. Billions of souls. Until finally, Eden is restored on our planet. Let's all stand up if we could.